This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Well, hello. Happy New Year. Uh, I hope you had a wonderful holiday. I am officially off hiatus now. I'm fired up, ready to go for 2022. I hope that you are too. Uh, Before we get to today's show, I just want to billboard that we have a ton of great programming lined up for you in the new year. We are, of course, going to be focusing quite a bit on the midterm election, uh, especially in the work here at home defending the 8th District, but also for key races all across the country. And uh, we're going to be leaning very hard on messaging so that voters, when we talk to them, they have a very clear understanding of all the great things that Democrats have accomplished and also that People have uh, an understanding as well about the clear and present danger that Republicans pose to our democracy. And on that subject, as you all know, this Thursday is January 6th, which will mark the one-year anniversary of the attack on our nation's capital. And to mark this occasion, Fix Democracy First, along with League of Women Voters of Washington and Seattle Supports Democracy, are hosting a virtual vigil at 6 p.m. Pacific. And here to tell us more is our friend Cindy Black. She is the executive director of Fix Democracy First. It is so good to see you, Cindy. How are you? Good to see you, Stefan. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Happy New Year. And, you know, obviously I wish that it could be under better circumstances. Uh, this is a very somber occasion. Uh, and, and I'm very grateful that you're doing this. Tell us a little bit uh, about the virtual uh, vigil. What can people expect with this? Um, sure. I just want to mention this is part of a national um Uh, events going on. There's over 300 events happening across the country, and we're decided to do ours virtually. We're a statewide organization, and we wanted to be able to involve people throughout the state of Washington. So um, this event will be, as you said, 6 p.m. on Thursday, January 6th. Um, We're going to talk about why we're here. We're going to have some guest speakers, including Charles Douglas III from Common Power. We also have Liz Bander from League of Women Voters U.S. speaking. And a special musical guest, Britton Ashford, will also be joining us. And then we, we plan to have some special video recording messages from some of our congressional delegation. So hopefully we'll have that to share. We'll also be talking about some actions people can take, as well as hopefully an opportunity for people to share some of their stories whether they share it in the chat or we have some time to do that um, live. Yeah, I think that could be particularly powerful. I mean, I know that it, it was a very traumatizing thing to experience, even uh, from a distance. So I think that might be something that might be uh, healing for people. You know, you talk about actions. Uh, what are some of the things that you would like to see people ultimately do to prevent something like this from ever happening again? Well, we definitely need to pass some strong legislation, including the Freedom to Vote Act, John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Those are two strong pieces of legislation that we think could help prevent some of this from happening before, Um, as well as protect election officials across the country. A lot of them are getting targeted. That's a serious issue. Um, And address some of the other issues that have created this, like misinformation, um, the the big lie that the election was fraudulent, you know, dealing with those kind of issues are really important. Um, we're hoping people will continue to contact their representatives and senators to push this, as well as the White House. But other things they can do are things like, you know, letters to the editor and other types of activities like that, just to um, just get the word out more and have a conversation about these issues. 
Well, I do know that, particularly this week anyway, it's going to be really front of mind for a lot of people. And um, I know that we've all been following very closely the, the work of the January 6th Commission. And you know, I, I know that we're hoping for some form of accountability. What that will look like, we, we don't really know at this point. But I'm wondering, from your standpoint, what would accountability look like for you, ideally? Well, accountability means holding um, the people that were behind this accountable and charging them with criminal charges if necessary. We've seen a lot of the insurrectionists that actually stormed the Capitol get arrested. I think there's well over 700 people that have been charged. Um, Many of them have not been um, had a trial or been sentenced yet, but some of them have. But also higher ups in power, including all the way up to President, former President Trump, as well as members of Congress that participated in allowing that to happen and and even in fact encouraging that as well as other players along the way i think all of them need to be held accountable so we can prevent something like this happening again i I mean i I hear people uh, who are listening and watching right now and going god yes absolutely that's precisely what we what we need you know i want to get your perspective on something so it's looking like representative liz cheney um who is one of two republicans on the panel might be gearing up to recommend criminal charges uh, against trump um for uh, uh, what is uh, called obstruction of government proceeding um and a number of legal scholars have questioned this and and warned that it might feed into the rights narrative about the commission being a witch hunt and also might stray from the the path of what is ultimately supposed to come from the commission, which would ideally be a a legislative fix as opposed to a legal recommendation. I just wonder if I get your thoughts on all of that. I really think both things need to happen. I think there needs to be criminal charges against people that did participate, like I mentioned, the higher ups in the White House, as well as members of Congress, as well as possibly legislative fixes, like I mentioned, with the Freedom to Vote Act in the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, as well as possibly other things, too. There's the Protect Our Democracy Act that's been introduced that would um, help curb some of those um, executive privileges and powers and keep that in check as well. But I think all of it needs to happen, not just one. And that witch hunt, hunt, um, you know, belief is I, I really believe that that's just a lot of talk. I mean, let's face it, if Democrats did anything like this, you would hear the complete opposite type of of thing happening. So I, I think we're a nonpartisan organization, so we don't care who's participating in this type of behavior. They need to be held accountable. And so um, I think there should be criminal charges as well as legislative fixes for this. Well, you know, in terms of legislative fixes, so um, in, in my sleepless nights, uh, listeners and viewers know that I, I battle insomnia. And so last night I've been reading uh, quite a bit uh, of the discussion around the, the 1876 Electoral Count Act, which this regards the, the, the transfer of uh, power process. Apparently, there are a number of loopholes in this that experts have pointed out that can really be exploited. And in terms of legislative fix, are there weaknesses in this transfer of power process that you see that you think could be shored up? Well, again, I think, as you mentioned, there are some loopholes in there. As you can see, the Trump administration was trying to exploit a lot of those and trying to find ways around that. And so I think so those can be some legislative fixes. But ultimately, personally, I and the, what we advocate for is we think we should probably get rid of the Electoral College altogether and move to a popular vote. You're here. So we have less of these type of issues. I mean, it's a pretty archaic system, the Electoral College, and it's time that we really improve democracy by getting rid of that and working on other fixes 
that would prevent things like that. So I think there's some immediate fixes that Congress can do, but ultimately I think we should be working toward getting rid of the electoral college altogether, just like the filibuster. That's a whole other ball game right there. We need to be um, fixing that as well. Put a pin in that, because I definitely want to come back to that in, in just a moment. But um, I also want to ask you, because uh, something else that's happening on Thursday is uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland is going to be giving an address uh, talking about the ways that the, the Justice Department has handled the investigation and the prosecution so far. I mean, as you mentioned, there are, I believe, over 700 uh, arrests. Um, I wonder what your assessment is of the work that the DOJ has done on this so far. Um, it's hard to know because I think a lot of things are happening behind closed doors and in, and still under investigation. So I think they've been sort of pretty quiet about what they've been doing. So I'm interested to hear what he has to say on Thursday and all that they've been doing. Some people think they, you know, him and his, um, the DOJ should be more aggressive about it. But um, I'm waiting to see what happens ultimately. I mean, there's still a lot of investigation going on. And I really believe that maybe they just want to be thorough and maybe get all their ducks in a row to make sure they can, you know, go against any legal charges or challenges rather to what's happening. So I'm waiting to see uh, personally how it plays out. And hopefully there will be some serious charges against those especially the higher ups. Yeah, yeah, I mean, especially the higher ups, which I think would be absolutely precedent setting. Yeah, I wonder as we get into campaign season here, how much you think people should be talking about this issue, particularly how much emphasis do you think that we should be putting on really the existential threat posed by Republicans? Well, first of all, I think we should definitely talk about the freedom to vote, free and fair elections, and that we do. I mean, I think good audits are very important in elections. And so I definitely take more of a positive view that way. And most and, and um, polling has shown that regardless of your political leanings, people do believe that we should have the freedom to vote in free and fair elections. But we should also be calling out the players that are looking to undermine democracy and create barriers to voting. And it just happens to be the Republican Party doing the majority of this. Um, some of them are not even in line with with their constituents, like the majority of people do believe we should pass the Freedom to Vote Act. But you can see that how it has been you know, gridlocked in the Senate and Republicans using, you know, the filibuster and obstructing that process. So I think we need to call out who's participating in that type of behavior, but also come back to the values of what we really want in this country. And that is we do want to have free and fair elections and the freedom to vote and good, solid electoral auditing, not like the type we saw in Arizona, which is not an audit at all. But we, we, we support that. We want to be able to know that our, our machines are working properly. We have a paper trail, all of those things. And the Freedom to Vote Act would, would do a lot of those things. So that's kind of where I would come from it. But we do need to call out the people that are, you know, basically trying to undermine democracy in a lot of ways right now. Um, so we, we've talked about uh, the filibuster. We've talked about voting rights legislation. Chuck Schumer uh, has said that the Senate uh, will vote 
on uh, both the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act by January 17th, which is MLK Day, and if the GOP continues to block the legislation, and there's no reason to think that they wouldn't, um, that he will then uh, go to work trying to change the rules on the filibuster. Well, are, are you optimistic about this approach? Um, I'm neutral about it because at least they're talking about reforming the filibuster. I really believe that they can do a carve out for it for voting rights and electoral issues. Well, they um, just did it for the budget. So they you did know, it for it's, the it's budget. They've done it for judicial appointments. So why couldn't they do it for democracy related issues? And that's what a lot of the talk is being right now on the national coalitions that I belong to. They're more optimistic than we have been. And I am more optimistic than I was before the holidays, hearing that they are talking about actually reforming the filibuster. And if they can do a carve out like they did for budget and judicial nominations, then I, I think it's there's a very good chance they could pass these bills. But again, you have a couple of senators in particular that have not been helpful, which, you know, Manchin and Cinema in particular, and there's a lot of money coming in to subvert a lot of things. And so hopefully, you know, the whole bill, it was the For the People Act, and the whole bill was rewritten because of Joe Manchin, right? The Freedom to Vote Act, and some things were taken out, especially around ethics and accountability issues. So if he can't come around to this to pass his own bill, I, I don't know where we're going to go with this. But I think it's essential we get these bills passed. And if and I'm in all all in favor of reforming the filibuster to do that. Yeah, I think a lot of people are really going to be watching uh, Mansion on this because you know this, as you say, this is his piece of legislation, and I think he was hoping to get um, a, a number of Republicans on board with this. And so far, I think only Lisa Murkowski, Murkowski has signaled any interest in this at all. And so when the bill fails, it'll be very interesting to see what he does on the filibuster. Yeah, I, I wonder. I'll just ask you, what would you like to see people here in Washington do? Uh, in support of these pieces of legislation? Well, I think I think the most important thing is to stay active and involved and engaged with the with the process of democracy in general. So continue to reach out to your your congressional delegation delegation as well as local um, politicians and representatives and have make that important to them. You know, I think we need to do that. Um, writing letters to the editor, reaching out to media. The other thing I think is really important is to engage people that may not have been engaged on this issue, but may agree with it. Um, there, you know, usually we see the same people over and over, the ones that are making the phone calls and, and doing the work. But there's a lot of people that agree with this, but haven't taken action. So anything we can do to engage those people in your networks, whether family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, is to engage them and have have them participate and get involved with contacting their legislators, you know, talking to other people. I think the only way this is going to work is that more and more people come together. I don't think it you can stand on the sidelines and just watch it happen. You have to get engaged. I wonder, you know, I, I think you make a, a very compelling point there. And I, I think this is something that a lot of us have considered how we get these people who we know are concerned about this, but we have a, we have, we have a problem getting them off the sidelines and into the game. How would you pitch to somebody who, you know, you know is concerned about voting rights, for example, but hasn't really made any overtures to actually get involved. What, what, what would you say to him or her? 
I would first try to engage them on on something personal about what what matters to them. What does does democracy matter to them? Do free and fair elections, freedom to vote, do, do any of those things matter to them? And if they do, I would stress the urgency of the situation is that if we don't do something, we may not have that in the near future. And if they love this country, that is something that they can do to, to show they love the country. I know people are busy with things and they're distracted with a lot of stuff that goes around, but this is something that you need to get engaged in. So I would appeal to their personal feelings and values and, and what's important to them. Um, because if you find out what's important to them, you can totally turn it around and, and show how that's related to having a a good democracy. Uh, where can people go to join your virtual uh, vigil on, on Thursday? Um, there's a couple of places people can sign up. You can go to Facebook, Fix Democracy First, or find us on Twitter. You can see um, our posts that we have links to the event. Also, you can go to the national um, page, which is jan6unityday.org. So it's jan6unityday.org. So you can find the event there, or you can find it on Fixed Democracy First Twitter feed or our Facebook page. Also Instagram as well. Very good. I will have all that information in the show notes for folks. Uh, I, w I really want to thank you for, as, as ever, the work that you do. Thank you for putting on this vigil and, uh, and just thank you for joining us today, Cindy. Thank you, Stefan. And that's going to do it for this week. As I said before, there's going to be a ton of resources coming your way over the next few months as we get into campaign season, because we know just how crucial it is for Democrats to maintain their majorities, both in D.C. and Olympia. If you'd like to see a video of this discussion, you can find it at facebook.com slash indivisiblepodcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at indivisiblepod. Special thanks, as always, to Lori Colwell, and my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.